This is the Influencer Entrepreneurs Podcast with Jenny Melrose, where I strategize with business owners on how to grow and scale their businesses to hit their income goals. This is episode 165 of the Influencer Entrepreneurs Podcast with Jenny Melrose. Today, I'm speaking with Lydia Finney, writer of The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You. You are going to want to listen into this episode. Lydia is not only an author, but she is also the head auctioneer at Christie's and has some of the best stories I think that I have ever heard. One in which she shares that includes Matt Damon. So if you're a Matt Damon fan, you're probably going to want to listen in. But also, I want you to really start to think about what she's talking about in terms of when it comes to confidence, because this is what this book is meant to be about. It is meant to inspire you to have the confidence so that you know that you are the most powerful woman in the room. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Lydia. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I am so excited to have you on. Will you actually introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? Of course, my name is Lydia Finette. I'm a global managing director at Christie's Auction House, and I'm also the lead benefit auctioneer. So I have two roles in my company. I spend my days in the office securing large-scale global partnerships for Christie's, and I spend my nights on stage raising money for nonprofits around the world. Okay. Very good. And it's a lot of people are going to be like, wait a second, why? This is a lot <laughs> online space. What are we talking about here? Um, will you tell everyone... You wrote um, the wonderful book. I picked it up this summer. Just the cover is what caught my eye of your book. It was in Target, picked it up, and I was like, we're going to see. Um, but tell everyone, why did you write You're the Most Powerful Woman in the Room Is You? So when I told you that I was the lead benefit auctioneer for Christie's, a lot of people have no idea what that means, honestly. So I think it helps to explain that a little bit. I am essentially the person who stands on stage at the charity galas anywhere in the world, raising money for whatever charity is looking for funds at that time. And in that capacity, I stand in rooms of a thousand people. I stand on stage at Madison Square Garden in front of 6,000 people. And the one question that people always ask when I get off stage is, how do you do that? How do you have that confidence and that power to command a room of that size? And where did you learn to do it? And I had heard the question enough that at some point I sat down and started to think, where did I learn that? How did this all start? And that was kind of the beginning of the book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You, because that's really how I feel when I'm on stage. And when I started to look back over my life and try to figure out how I got there, I realized there were a lot of stories and a lot of learnings that other people could learn from. I originally sold the book as The Most Powerful Woman in the Room. And as I was writing it, I added, I called Simon & Schuster and said, would it be okay if I added Is You? Because I just feel like this is a book of life lessons, but I'm telling you because I want other people to benefit from the things I didn't know at an early age. And hopefully they'll learn those lessons earlier and not have to overthink them and make those mistakes. Yes. No. And I, 
Um, remember the picking up the book, going through the line um, at Target, and the girl was checking me out, and she looked at the book title, and she went kind of like read it, looked up at me, and was like, "And I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> here, I am. <laughs> yep, I am here, and I'm going to read it." And it's so true. <laughs> it's so funny. Well, it's funny because you said two things there. You know, the reason the book is hot pink is because I was traveling a lot for work at the time that I was writing the book. And there were two different, um, there were two different, I guess they were sort of brightly colored books that I kept seeing when I was, when I was traveling. And one of them was, um, you are a badass by, I think it's Jen Sicaro. And then the other one was the subtle art of not giving a blank. So a lot of swearing in the title, but they're both incredibly brightly colored. And so when I was traveling, I kept thinking to myself, I really have to make sure that my book is eye-catching and it has to be pink because it's a book for women. And I think the beauty of having a hot pink book is that it takes back femininity and makes it strong and powerful. People think of pink as this sort of lovely, soft color, when in fact, pink can be powerful because it is so feminine and women can be powerful. And that can look completely different than what power used to mean. And that's what I want this book to really show. You know, there's an entire article about, excuse me, there's an entire chapter about being Southern and what I learned from being Southern and how those integral tools have helped me really sell, especially in a place like New York. And I know you live in Charlotte, so you probably see that sort of Southern grace all the time, but it really is very effective and it's powerful in its own way. Yeah. loved that chapter. Having originally been from New York and then moving down South, I probably never would have understood if I hadn't lived down here. So that was one of my favorite chapters is the way that you kind of put that into play. Um, one of my, also my favorite things is the personal notes that you talk about. Yes. Yes. That is part of my goals is like, that is what I've tried to try to do because it, it is so important family. And I think things now with the digital age get kind of pushed aside when it comes to those things. So sitting down and writing those personal notes. I loved that piece that you added in. Absolutely. It never, it's one of those things that it doesn't matter what someone thinks of you at the end of the day, if you write a note from your heart, they can only think something positive about that. No one's ever said, God, I wish they hadn't written me a thank you note. (laughs) You will never hear that in your life. So be assured it will always be a positive. No, absolutely. So now your storytelling ability throughout the book is honestly what drew me in and you clearly know how to do this on stage as well. How do you incorporate this so effortlessly? I think honestly, I was such a voracious reader as a child. You know, when I started to write the book, it was a lot of people asking, like, you don't really have that much time to do it. They'd given me a three-month timeline. And there was a lot of talk of ghostwriting and getting someone else to write it. And I just kept thinking to myself, listen, I know I'm not a traditional writer, but I know what a story looks like. I mean, I've been reading book after book after book late into the evening since I was probably five or six years old. So give me a crack at it. You know, I wrote my proposal and I remember when they, when they read my first sample chapter and they called, they were like, yeah, you should absolutely, you can do this. Like there's no, there's no question about this. And I kind of already knew that. So I was sort of like, yeah, I've actually already written a couple of other chapters. So we're good to go. Here we go. But um, it's interesting. The very first chapter of the book or the introduction to the book, I wrote when I was, I was in a spin class with a friend of mine and we, it was the middle of the summer and we, we left, we were, we were visiting them in a different place and we left and we got in her car to drive back to our husbands and our kids. And, um, I had this moment where I said, I, can you just not 
say anything for five minutes. I, I need to write the introduction. And I wrote the entire thing on a piece of paper, start to finish. And it was interesting because I wanted to draw the reader in because the book starts with the most powerful woman in the room is you. I mean, that's the title. It's hot pink. And as you said, you're at a, a line at Target and someone's sort of laughing as if, why are you, why are you reading this book? Yeah. And so I thought the first thing, it just came to me in this dark spin class. It has to be a question, which is why I start the book. You were curious, right? That's why you picked up this book. And I think that's really my entire, my entire writing style is about thinking through what is going to make the reader keep going. And I wrote the part on the first chapter about the first 10 seconds walking into an auction room on a plane, which if you could put me on a plane, I could write an entire book in a week. I mean, honestly, I write so well on planes. It's dark, it's quiet. You have that sort of white noise. And it was, I was trying to think like, how do I bring the reader into that moment when I'm standing backstage and the lights are dimming and there's a video on and everyone is focused on that? How do I get that crowd? How do I make them pay attention How does that strike method start? And so it was the 10 seconds as I walk on stage and really bringing you in as that, as the light is coming down and my eyes are focusing and then the gavel strikes and everything stops. So I feel like bringing people along for the story is what keeps them interested and also helps them visualize. It helps them bring it into their own life too. Yes, so much so. I definitely felt like I, we were at the, when I read it, it was over the summer. We were at a lake house with my entire family, all the babies. There was eight grandchildren running around, all my sister siblings. And it was, I just couldn't put it down because it went from one story to the next. And it did, you just, it was beautiful. It's beautifully written. I loved it. One of my actual favorite stories from the book was the one with Matt Damon at the office. (laughs) Can you share that story with my listeners and what happens? Of course. I know. That's my cocktail party story that has lived in infamy ever since it happened. So I was taking an auction for... Taking an auction is when you are the auctioneer. So I was asked to take an auction at a private school in Manhattan where Matt Damon's children were attending at the time. And the previous auctioneer had been taking the auction for about 25 years. I think he was a grandfather of someone in the school by that point. And that's always as a new auctioneer, the best case scenario, because if someone isn't a trained auctioneer, you know it will go better. <laughs> so it's a good thing. Right. And so I arrived at the venue and the woman who was the event organizer grabbed my arm and said, I'm going to go introduce you to Matt Damon. And in these situations, which actually happen quite a lot, because in New York, a lot of the nonprofits are supported by a celebrity. I've just learned that the best way to approach that is to act like it's not a big deal, even if internally I'm completely dying. (laughs) And so I, I think I said, yeah, no, of course. Meanwhile, in her monologue, oh my God, oh my God. I'm dying. And so I was sort of whisked through the tables and, you know, thrown in front of Matt Damon, who I introduced myself to. We talked for two seconds about the fact that he was going to come on stage for not the actual auction, but the paddle raise at the end, which, you know, you're not selling anything during paddle raise, you're just soliciting money. So I thought it might be helpful to make the what is sometimes a painful part of the evening a little more fun with him. And I sat down at the table, the same table that he was seated at and was actually seated with his wife. So spoke with her for most of the event, but really never said anything else. Um, But I did know, I've seen enough interviews with him to know that he has a very witty sense of humor. And I rely very heavily on a sense of humor when I'm on stage because it kind of keeps the audience a little more engaged than if you're just spouting numbers. So I got on stage and 
you know, we were going back and forth with the bidding and everything was going really well. And it was a fun auction. And about halfway through, there was a lot, which, which is basically the item that you're selling. So this lot was I think, a private dinner for a large group of people. And Matt Damon and another table started going back and forth and it was getting very high. I mean, absurdly high, um, honestly. And there, there was a pause and Matt Damon said out loud, he's obviously been to many galas before. He said, Hey, Lindsay, Lindsay, why don't you double the lot? So doubling the lot means that you drive up the price to the most that you can possibly get. And then you sort of say to the audience, what if I had two to sell? So you get twice as much money and you sell the item twice. But at this point, I didn't actually have another one to sell. No one had said that I could sell the other one. Um, And there was no second dinner. There was just one dinner. And I also, for the record, my name is Lydia, not Lindsay. (laughs) So I had this moment and it was sort of that flash moment where I thought to myself, if this was anyone else in the world, the first thing I would do is joke about the fact that my name is not Lindsay. So why would I do this any differently? And so I said, oh, you know, there's always someone in the crowd who wants to be a junior auctioneer. But unfortunately, this evening, Matt, we can't sell a second lot because we only have one to sell. And for the record, my name is actually Lydia. And it was, you know, it's a room of 700 people. Everyone was paying attention because Matt Damon was talking. And it was one of those moments, he just sort of buried his hands in his head and just started laughing. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And I just felt like I had such a win. It was such a great moment. And then he came up on stage for the paddle raise and said to the audience, oh, hey, Lindsay. And then he sort of said to the audience, you know, this is just this is just something we do, Lindsay and me. And I said to the audience, uh, this is actually not something that we've ever done. They just told me there was a struggling actor named Mike Diamond who was getting on stage to help me out. And so it became this joke for the entire paddle race. He was just sort of hurling insults at me and I was doing the same to him. And then actually hilariously, and I don't even say this in the book, but he had a daughter in another school where I was on stage. He was not supposed to be on stage. And all of a sudden during the paddle race, he wanders out and starts calling me Lindsay in front of the whole crowd. (laughs) But it was a totally different crowd. So they didn't know the joke. And I was just sort of like, oh, this is really becoming a little more surreal than I anticipated. But um, but yeah, and I think the, the takeaway for me from that was everybody always puts people on a pedestal, but it doesn't matter where someone has gotten to in their life. If they're the CEO of a company, it doesn't matter who they are. At the core, they're human. So if you treat them like a normal person, they will act like a normal person. If you approach someone with your preconceived notions of who they are and how they're going to act, and they're this amazing person, they're going to respond to that and probably draw back and and act that part. So really, you know, CEO on down, it doesn't matter. We're all people. So just remember that when you're going into any sale or anything that you're trying to do, you have enough confidence to do it. Just walk in confident and they'll match it. Yes. And I think that that's a piece of what you also talked about in the book. You talked about being able to ask for that raise with your employer. And I think that's where it kind of comes from, right? It's that confidence again. Now, a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs. So Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily asking for a raise from an employee. How would you say for like freelancers, entrepreneurs to kind of handle that? I think the one thing you know, people always ask me is, how do I price myself in the market? You know, how am I pricing my products? And I always say, I'm like, look, something is priced well when you're getting as much as you possibly can and doing as little work for it. So if you are selling a product and you are selling out every single time, then frankly, you should probably price it higher because then you'll have to make less of them, right? So I always try to think as it pertains to any kind of negotiating when I'm doing any kind of salary negotiating or anything like that, 
if I go a little higher than I thought I was going to go in the first place, I probably am going to land closer to where I thought I was going to get. And I would say the same thing to your entrepreneurs. Like if you're going in to do any kind of negotiation, if you're going in to make a sale of any sort, think about what you realistically want and go higher. Always go higher because there has to be some wiggle room and you always have to be willing to kind of walk away. That's the other key to negotiation. You have to say to yourself, this is not going to work out the way that I want it to work out and I'm not going to get this price. There will be someone who will find it and there will be someone who will match it. And if you find that time and time again that that doesn't work, then you're pricing yourself incorrectly. Right. No, absolutely. And I love that you talk about being able to walk away. Because you do, you have, it's almost like laying that line in the sand. Otherwise they're going to call your bluff on it. Um, There's been plenty of times where I know that personally you lay that out there and they may walk away, but they may come back Mm -hmm. years, a year, or even six months later, whatever it might be. Um, So I think that that's so important to really have that line so that it's clear cut and you are willing to walk away. So it's like kind of parenting our children. If yes. we tell them we're going to give them a consequence and we don't do it, they know that. Um, yes. The same thing. Absolutely. <laughs> they definitely know that, by the way. <laughs> yes. No, they don't. <laughs> definitely do. Um, you talked about the importance of networking in your book. What steps should someone take in order to find a group that works for them? This is like a huge piece, I feel like, for especially for online entrepreneurs, because they're not used to, they're used to doing everything digitally. They're used to doing it on social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram. So finding people actually in person is a struggle. I know it was for me. So what would you recommend? I think that the most important thing in networking, people are always looking for someone who does exactly what they do, right? That's the thing about networking. I remember saying to a woman who I work with in finance, who's one of our partners, I said to her, yeah, you know, networking isn't really about who sits around you. Networking is about finding other people who don't do exactly what you do and accessing their networks. They may be like-minded. They may be someone who's vaguely in the same space. But what you want to be looking for is somebody who has a network that's going to help you broaden your network, not close the circle so that you're all talking about the same thing. Because frankly, then you're never going to grow and then your network is never going to grow. So set yourself a reasonable boundary. I mean, a reasonable goal for how many people you want to meet over the course of the week. And either, you know, if you're in a place where you need to be setting up meetings, set up those meetings, cold call people. I mean, I do at least two informational interviews a week, if not more at this point, just from people who reach out to me over LinkedIn or, or friends of a friends who've asked me to reach out to someone. I'll also say too, that digital, um, like a digital, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, like a digital networking group to be exactly or like you know for instance like a linkedin or something like yeah. that the beauty of something like that is it shows you someone else's network so let's say that we have this call right now and we meet i go into linkedin i link in with you i look through your linkedin profile and i realize that there are like 20 people that i would love to have in my network i could follow up very easily with an email to you and say do you feel comfortable introducing me to anyone in your network and chances are you know, unless I've done something horribly wrong in this podcast, um, you won't mind doing that. And I think that that is something that people don't often take advantage of. And that can be amplified through every social media site possible, Instagram, Facebook, um, I mean, TikTok, I think might be not, not something you want to work through, but all of those things allow you to reach out to people by looking at who their friends are. And I do think that that is the world that we live in. And it's an amazing way to meet people. Yes. And I don't think it's normally how a lot of us that are online look at it. We often Mm -hmm. are looking for like almost like a support group of people that we can 
not necessarily wine, but we can talk about the things that were struggles, our struggles and have someone that's going to listen and understand what it is that we do. But I love the way that you talk about it being maybe someone in an entirely different industry, but it's not about that their industry isn't related to yours. It's about who else do they know that you yes. create that. And I don't think we necessarily think that way. Um, I don't know why that is, but it makes so much sense to be able to look at their networks and be able to make those connections further along as well. And I think too, you know, the other thing you should think about is creating that network if you don't have it. You know, I talked the last chapter of the book, I talk about this networking breakfast that I started with a woman who I didn't really know that well, but we realized we had a lot of people the same age who we didn't know in the same kind of network. And why didn't we know each other's friends? And why didn't we know this other person who'd worked in the luxury industry for a long time? Maybe not in the auction world, but maybe they worked in fashion or in media or something like that. And so we started a networking breakfast where we both brought five people who the other person didn't know. And all of a sudden, there were another five people in my network and their networks are my networks too. And this networking, this networking breakfast has now been going on for six years and we do it five to six times a year. People love it. We have different people every time. I invite people that I've met for two seconds. If they, you know, if they cold call me and say, I'm really looking for a job or I need to do this. And I feel like they could be a good fit with the group. Then I introduce them. And over that breakfast, connections are made. Jobs are, are, sort of taken freelance jobs are taken. I mean, it's really an amazing thing to watch happen. Yes. And I love it. In, in the book too, you talk about um, finding people that push you to be mm-hmm. better, that aren't necessarily people that are at your level. Maybe they're even a little bit further ahead than you. Mm-hmm. And I love that you add that piece in there because it is like that mentor that they could be looking for to help them see where else they could possibly look to go. Absolutely. And you know, look, Everybody has the ability to shift as much as they want to. You can decide that your career path looks like A on this day, and two years down the road, it may be a complete misfit in your eyes, and you can pivot and try something new. But I think the most exciting thing about the age that we live in is these jobs are on display. You can see what these jobs look like. If there's someone who has something that's even slightly interesting to you, start following them on Instagram or find other people who follow them in the same vein and really start watching what they're doing. Um, see, if, see if their day-to-day is something that might interest you. Because if you want to do a big career pivot or if you want to start a side hustle while you have a full-time job, it's really helpful to see what it looks like, the real, the real sort of inner workings of a job. Yes. No, absolutely. Now, writing a book is a huge undertaking. Um, (laughs) What has it provided for you in the way of your career? It has been the most amazing. It it has been the most amazing year and a half of my life. Honestly, it's the book has been the manifestation of so many dreams. And I just sold the, uh, I just optioned it for TV and film this week, which is really exciting. So all of these things that I wanted to do over the years. I mean, writing a book, doing speeches. I do keynote speeches now, you know, getting something optioned for TV and film. All of these things have come as a result of pushing myself to write this book. And, you know, I say in the book, it wasn't easy. I had a three-month-old child when I, I mean, excuse me, I had an almost year-old third child um, while I was writing a book in three months. I was still nursing. I was barely sleeping. I was getting it done after work, after charity auctions, late at night, late into the evenings, carving out an hour here and an hour there to spend as much time with my kids as possible. And it was stressful, but I'm telling you when it was done, 
and what I've been what I've been able to do with it since has been an affirmation of so many of the things that I wrote about in the book. You know, I said to Simon and Schuster probably three months ago, this book could very easily have sold two thousand books, three thousand books. Um, but I've done one hundred and twenty five speeches, and I do speeches, and I sell hundreds of books, and those sell more books because someone reads it and they post about it on Instagram. And I hope everyone listening will read it and post about it on Instagram. And it has just created this groundswell around this book that has its own movement now. And it's just the most magical thing to see. So it's been rewarding in more ways than I can count. And I would say to anyone who has a dream, whether it be writing a book or anything that they want to take on that they're scared to do, just do it. I am living proof that if you really pursue a dream and you get behind it and you push it, you can make it a success. Yes. And I think that when it comes to that, you've done such an excellent job of making sure that you are getting in front of different people and you're marketing it and you're sharing it on stories and your people are sharing it on stories. And I think that that's a huge piece of it, whether like you said, it's a book or if it's a project or a product, whatever it might be. So that is such a huge piece for sure. Um, Lydia, where are the best places, since we're talking about being able to share about it, where are the best that people can engage with you and really follow along with what you're up to? So Instagram, which is my name, Lydia Finette, is pretty much my favorite vehicle for sharing information. You know, it's fun for me to show people what I'm doing, taking auctions. You know, last night I had a dress that I was running out of the door and I was trying to zip it up. The zipper was stuck. So I'm not even kidding. I was supposed to be out of the door in a minute. And here I am completely changing my entire outfit to get into a new dress to run out of the door. And all of those moments are sort of shared on social media as I'm going from one place to another. Um, And I live in New York. So there's an incredible backdrop to all of it. So I would say Instagram is a fun place, but you can also read the book. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I have a website, LydiaFinette.com if you want to reach out to me about anything. So I'm here and available and I am an extrovert and love meeting people. So feel free to reach out anytime. That's excellent. So we will make sure to link to that in the show notes so that we have your Instagram. You guys know that for those that are listening, you can always tag when you're listening and into the podcast. Um, Make sure that you put it up on stories. We'd love seeing that. And Lydia, I appreciate you so much for taking the time to speak with my audience. We're going to link to the book as well. Um, Like I said, it was one of my favorites that I read over the summer. It was just, it was, the storytelling was amazing and it kept it going. The piece about confidence, I just think is such a huge component of what women are missing and need more in their life. So thank you. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. And thank you for having me on. I always appreciate a platform and I love, I love what you're doing. And I love that you're giving people the confidence to go out there and live their dreams. So thank you, Jenny. Of course. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. Clearly, you all love that story about Matt Damon. And if you love that story, you're going to want to make sure that you pick up the book, The Most Powerful Woman in the Room is You, because Lydia tells a ton of great stories like that. Her storytelling is honestly one of my favorite parts. Now, one of the questions that I asked in this interview was about a book and the undertaking that it can be and what that looks like. So you guys, my book is coming out really soon. It will be out this spring and I am so excited to share it with all of you. So if you would like to get on the wait list for when the book comes out, I am going to make sure to link to that in the show notes that you can make sure that you are on that list. In the meantime, if you are sharing a screenshot to Instagram stories of how you're listening to this podcast episode, make sure that you tag me at Jenny underscore Melrose as well as at Lydia Finette. All right. 
right, you guys. Until next time, I will see you all then.